From architecture to painting and sculpture, literature to live music and theater, Radio 111 presents Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza with The Desert Scene, your connection to culture and entertainment in the desert cities. Here's Bonnie and Brian. Welcome to the Desert Scene. Okay, we're having a little technical takeoff to here. All right, we're here. Hey, Brian, how you doing? I'm doing good. I just realized <laughs> that I know why the audio is really low because I accidentally put it up. Oh, okay. Put it up. Oh, Lord of mercy. All right, so we're we're in fall. It's beautiful. I'm so glad it's cool out. Yay! It's actually in the morning. You got to put on a sweater, which is great. I was tired of tired of hot weather. Tired, tired, tired. Oh, Lord. I mean, I was actually for once enjoying the fact that like when I go outside, I was like. Ah, finally I get to actually enjoy yeah. some of this cold weather and it doesn't have to just be five in the morning like when I have to commute yeah. it's not just that it's yeah. it's just so nice to be able to go outside and yeah. not feel like I'm burning all the time and sleep with the windows open and all the oh, good stuff it's yes. fabulous fabulous and I love the fact that my AC actually feels really cold to the point that I have to turn it off yeah. I love yeah. it now, did you get your car straightened out I know you had car issues for a while no I did I got, okay. I got that straightened out I mean what it turned out was just like a hose like I need to fix it or I replace that's it that's a lot of times that's a darn hose yeah yeah and then my car drove kind of weird at first but then now it's driving just fine it's okay. fine good like that's all I gotta yeah. say so let's talk about uh, William Shatner going into space at 90 years old interesting I, th- I think that makes him the oldest person to go I think, into space yeah I think they made a big deal about that yeah so um, from what my understanding is that he flew into space or in a rocket developed by Blue Origin, which is the company that was founded by Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. And basically he went into space and he saw like, he he was talking about it on Today that he was trying to find something clever to say about the experience, but he said that it doesn't really compare, like nothing could really compare to being in space and looking at our Earth. And he's like, it's a very fragile thing. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, it looks a lot s- smaller. Than you think. Yeah. Than you think. Because I heard, I didn't see the video but I, I heard he got very emotional when they came back after the after the ride oh yeah he did he was talking about how like he, he i think one of the things was that he said i was overwhelmed with the experience with the sensation of looking at death and looking at life and what's become a cliche of how we need to take care of the planet i was so struck i was struck so profoundly by it yeah and i i honestly can't imagine a better way to put it because like i would i don't know how it would be to go to space like i can't possibly imagine like having a certain mindset and then going to space and feeling like you can still be the same person i don't think you could ever no, be. i would think it would change you it's, not, it's something i will never be doing not just because of a money issue but i'm claustrophobic so i'm not putting on a helmet and i'm not getting in a any kind of capsule i'm not doing it i'm claustrophobic i could never do it no i i wouldn't be able to do it because I don't think I would ever be able to yeah. just because of the fact that I don't, I don't I don't I try not to think too much about things that I don't think I'll ever do because I feel like I think going to space is already really expensive and yeah. also just the fact that um, if I remember correctly like the Challenger situ- remember Challenger mm-hmm, of course that actually really s- spooked, ca- spooked, spooked me yeah, spooked well, me yeah. out of it because I was thinking you know if they got this poor teacher to actually agree with to this and then mm-hmm. just yeah and bad things happened it's like uh, like yeah. and you never know i mean who there's no 
Well, I mean, you obviously you technologically you have everybody checks everything out, but to a certain degree, it's a you don't know. It's a crapshoot. Any time that could happen. Yeah. And the thing about William Shatner is that I was not surprised that he was the first person from Star Trek to be able to go to space. I think that he is. As far as I know, because yeah. he is. By whether you love him or hate him, whether or not you think his acting is kind of a little choppy, I think the man is sort of the symbol of star trek mm-hmm. along with like leonard nimoy who mm-hmm. he passed away yeah. and i don't know like i always wondered why you know I, you know it's funny because there's another like person who's related to star trek that actually was really influential when it came to space nichelle nichols nichelle nichols actually did a lot of training for nasa mm-hmm. and actually did a lot of like recruiting for black astronauts mm-hmm. on there so mm-hmm. there's a there's this weird connection where like people and from she's star still, trek. still around right yeah okay and Oh, I actually have something to say about Nichelle Nichols. Um, I don't know. Everybody's following the Britney stuff, but Nichelle Nichols is also in a situation like that. Really? Oh, yeah. She's been having a lot of problems with her conservatorship, too. Well, what now, does she, does she have dementia, or why does she have a conservator, conservatorship? I don't know, because like I was under the impression that like she... I, I got the impression that she might be... You know, like just an ordinary like senior citizen, like you know, like somebody who's already kind of like. So she, she so she's she's starting to lose some mental faculties. I mean, that, I don't. You, you, normally, you don't have one of those she has unless dementia. you yeah have oh dementia. Okay, dementia, she yeah. does. Okay, so that is dementia because I was trying to yeah. think what's the other one. I don't yeah. know if it's dementia, but yeah. she has dementia and it hasn't really been talked about a lot recently, but. She has had a lot of like conservatorship issues where her kid, I believe it's either her kids or somebody related to her that has had like, like they've been sort of controlling her money and there's been this sort of conversation about whether or not it's right for them to have that much control over her, m- mm-hmm. over her money. And it's mm-hmm. actually her son. If I'm Yes, it's actually her son, Kyle Johnson. And, you know, uh, apparently some people were saying that like, she is being taken advantage of. That I hate when that happens. It's just so, that's so disappointing. And, you know? and one of the most controversial aspects of it is that her son actually sold her home. Without well asking her? I mean, just did it? And well, they kind of had this conversation about how, since she has dementia, how much agency does she actually have? Like, mm-hmm. how, how easy would it be? Like, for example, of like, my if my mother had dementia how easy would it be for me to take advantage of that you know and, and that yeah it's a very uh, slippery slope kind of gray because it's uh, apparently in the past i've seen stories where it's some it's easy sometimes for the children or whoever to manipulate the situation and present a picture of the person perhaps being uh less mentally stable than they really are and one of the things was that when Nichelle Nichols got her household, apparently one of the fr- one of her friends said that, well, her home is gone and she loved her home. Where is she living? Is she in a, in a facility? I think she's actually going to be living with her son. I think mm. that I got the impression that she. And there's also the, this video too about how, um, I, I think that I'm trying to look at this article too real quick, but like I think that that Nichelle Nichols will be living with her son, but also apparently, apparently Nichelle Nichols 
doesn't get a lot of visitors that her visitors mm. rights are actually being violated and is being, it just the one son does she have other children or just that one son i think that's her only son i see that's a problem yeah. that's a problem if he if he is her only child and he's like the guy and he's the one that's taking advantage of her you know who is in her corner and another thing is that like a lot of other people were saying that like Michelle Nichols never wanted her home sold and that yeah. you know it's one of those things like while I'm still alive you know keep my home yeah and they apparently were talking about how and apparently her son felt that the that she deserves a bit of a more modest living situation like not being able it's to it's not live. his choice to yeah. make and that's what I you was know, saying yeah. too and yeah. so I've had a lot of conversations with people about how Nichelle Nichols doesn't get the press be compared to Britney Spears and you know the, the sad fact of the matter is that I think because Nichelle Nichols is less famous mm -hmm. she, she'll never she'll probably not get that moment like a free Britney moment well and also not, not only is she not as famous as Britney but also it, uh, Britney's situation is more is more unusual because she's 30 or whatever versus someone who's older who's got dementia that's a fairly common fairly common situation so people do, it doesn't get as much attention yeah and it's and it's sort of like people tend to sit and i i kind of since we live in a community where there's a lot of senior citizens living here i think mm -hmm. that there's sort of this perception that if once you turn 70 or 80 that you're a burden or that mm -hmm. you're certainly like not capable of making your own decisions and there are many 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 people who are doing just fine who are in great physical health great mental health um, you know, people. Unless it was, well, it, there's two. There's two kind of categories. I mean, there's some folks who either didn't take care of themselves well when they were younger, or didn't know, didn't know about nutrition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, who end up with a lot of ailments as they get older. But there are a lot of people who don't. And people, I think sometimes people forget that. They think that's really, you know, an oddity, and it's really not. It's really not. It. It's sort of like if you want to look good in your 80s or you want to live until your 80s, it's it's important to make a lot of decisions in your 20s and 30s to be able to improve your health. But even but even even if you didn't, let's say you're 40, you know, 40 and 40s, you can ch make changes now that will help a lot. I mean, the, it, it change at any point, make the change. It can't hurt. I mean, it obviously would have been better if you did it in your 20s, but make the change now. And there's a, it doesn't mean just because you're 70 or 80 or even 90 that that you have to be in a wheelchair and doddering and drooling and not have a brain working. Also, the idea that people in their 80s and 70s don't have agency, we need to unlearn that. I Absolutely. think the important thing is to let people in their 70s and 80s have their own like conversations and being able to have their own like uh, just to build autonomy to mm -hmm. be able to make their decisions. Like if someone wants to get divorced at 70, that's not a big deal. It's their choice. Or, yeah. And yeah, and to have to have society's viewpoint on it change as well and to stop projecting you know, death and illness and senility on people who are not actually experiencing it. And you never know, because the show Nichols, she's 88. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, she's lived that long. What, what yeah. would stop anybody for, like her to live until 90 or mm -hmm. even... 95 you 95 like look at william shatner he's 90 and he's you know fit enough to go into space and apparently totally cogent so it happens and also know? george Takei is doing his thing mm -hmm. still active and mm -hmm. he's not that young either and betty white is what 95 95 whatever she, she, and she seems to be sharp as a tack from what i know yeah i get the impression that another thing is that i'm trying to type in betty white's yeah, age yeah. she's 99 
She's 99? Yes. God bless her. <laughs> I hope she makes it to 100. Wow, that would be so we great. Gotta get, we got to get, we got to, that's our hope for next January. Oh, January. We have a couple months. We have a couple She's going to make it. She's, She's going to make, make it. it. Oh, we'll have to have a big happy birthday, you know, segment in our show when she hits 100. And I'm so, I always get excited when I see like celebrities or like people that you adore on TV live for a long time mm-hmm. because you know you you can't get enough of one person's gift in yeah. life you yeah. know yeah and for me I always I feel a certain kind of way that Nichelle Nichols you know she only has so much time left and you know let her enjoy, enjoy. her life and stop bossing her around and taking and you know the, uh, Wayne Dyer has this one of his tapes control the issue of control and they've done studies in old people's homes when you start taking control away from people whether you're 20 39 you they start to fold control if you don't have control of your own life that is really bad for your mental health that's no matter how old you are no that's true then i think that's why it's good that someone like britney and her in her 30s is trying to get getting it back because i mean I'm hoping that more people in their 20s and 30s, if you have a conservatorship, if you feel like you're not, don't have some agency, because the conservatorship is more like you can make your decisions, but somebody will help you make yeah. them. Find, you know, find a way to find it, do the best you can to fight for your own self and control. And yeah, like, you know, we all yeah. deserve that. And autonomy is really important because yep. think about it, you know, if you don't want someone telling you what to do, don't nobody else does either nobody else does too all right we're gonna be back with more news and some great guests coming up on the desert scene in just a bit Desert Scene on Radio 111. Cultural events and the people who make it happen in the desert cities with Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza. And we are back on the desert scene. Another a new story that's been hot entertainment story is apparently they're doing a, uh, I guess, biopic about Joan Rivers or a movie or something about Joan Rivers and have hired a non-Jewish actress to play her. And several people are upset, I guess, particularly Sarah Silverman. Right? Yeah. So, so one of the arguments, that Sarah, I'm going to present an argument that Sarah Silverman made and then we'll talk about it. But the actress who's playing uh, Joan Rivers is Catherine Hahn, who most people agree is a great actress. But Catherine Hahn has not is not Jewish, but mm-hmm. she has played Jewish parts before. She's okay. done the rabbi in Transparent, which is a show about a Jewish family. So it's sort of one of those things where I think people think she's Jewish, but, but she's, she's not. really not. She's yeah. not. And and when I watched that, I was like, oh, she's not Jewish? Because the, the, it actually gets into something that Sarah Silverman said. She Sarah Silverman talked about it in her podcast, about how she felt that Hollywood has always had a lot of like anti-Semitic tropes, even though there's the conspiracy theory that Jews control Hollywood, which is not <laughs> which is, Yeah, give me a break. I mean, I mean if Ju- if there's a lot of Jewish people in Hollywood, like so be it, like it happens. Because they're smart business people or yeah. whatever, yeah. Yeah, I mean. like, and it could be any, and it, honestly at that point, like we're starting to see more different kinds of people, so like- Diversity, yeah. Diversity, mm-hmm. so like, you know, that conspiracy theory, 
going away. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the things about, uh, she calls it Jew face. Basically, there's this person, she says that she doesn't really care to see Jew face, which she describes as basically like a non-Jewish actor putting it's, on it's similar to blackface but they're yeah. calling it jew face okay she also said like for example like the, it's not just like the makeup like the false prosthetic the, the nose. nose and yeah yeah it's, it's also about like having mannerisms or like mm-hmm. pres- projecting a certain or a little jewish, bit of an accent vocal whatever yeah and throwing yeah. in yiddish words because mm-hmm. i actually have a friend who's jewish who said that like they sometimes get irritated at movies about jewish people because movies with jewish people because they're caricatures it, they're caricatures yeah. and they're always mm-hmm. no uh, nervous the and like the other thing is that he also feels like they throw in, like they throw in Yiddish words that make no sense. Like for example, he said that word doesn't mean what that. Yeah, they just mean. throw in Yiddish words just to throw one in. Yeah, and like I saw another movie where that he said, you know, they, uh, uh, like for example, they'll be like, Mike Kosh is I don't know how to put it, but like I don't want to be pr- I don't want to accidentally do it, but like basically uh, there was a movie where somebody said this vaketa fish is labushin on my vodashad. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And and I told him, does that mean anything? He's like, no, that's a bunch of gibberish. Okay. And so one of the things she said was that Joan Rivers was a person that was very much defined by being a Jew. Mm-hmm. Like she, her Jewness was part of her. And part of her, her act. Yeah. Act. Mm-hmm. And so she feels that a very, that a Jewish actor should have had uh, th- more priority as mm-hmm. opposed to Catherine Hahn, even though she says Catherine Hahn is great and she'll yeah. do a great job as Joan because she obviously mm-hmm. could do it. But did they, did they, I guess the question would be, did they audition a number of Jewish actresses before just going with her? That yeah. would be my question. I think you know. the, I think the idea was that Catherine Hahn, cause she got, because she got nominated for an Emmy for um, WandaVision and everyone thought she should have won for playing the witch Agatha Harkness and so she's kind of hot right now so everybody wants her in their own in their programs and I think that Catherine Hodd's casting is sort of meant to be sort of like the next step in her career like hey you know let's give her a biopic because mm-hmm. I think everyone wants to see her succeed and because everybody really likes her right now so there's that and the fact is that Sarah Silverman, you know, I'm not saying that Sarah Silverman has a bad argument. I just don't think she should be the messenger because I'll show you, Bonnie, but then we can show our audience. Right. She's not exactly someone that I trust with that. <gasps> yep. What was that from? Sarah Silverman did a skit in 2007 where she put on minstrel makeup. And I'm not, and I was kind of like, she talked about how she was horrified by it. So I'm saying they're like... She was horrified after she did it? Why did she do it then? Like, that's what I'm wondering. Like, Was I, that for SNL? Or do you remember what that was for? That was for her show, The Sarah Silverman okay, Show. Okay. So one of the things about her show is that she was always like pushing the envelope. But one of the things that bothers me is the fact that Sarah Silverman did a, a very... If it's not blackface... It's very close. It's pretty darn close. It's one step away from it. Like you just need one more thing. Yeah. And she even admits that she was horrified by it. So I think this is sort of like her where I feel like I don't really trust her as the authority. Like I think the concept makes sense. Like Jew face. Maybe someone else should be the spokesperson for being upset about it (laughs) instead of her. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I saw that, I was like, yeah, Sarah, you, you can't do this. So what do you, Brian, personally feel about in general, a not say a non-Jewish person playing somebody well known who was obviously Jewish. What do you what do you think about that? I think that there is always going to be. I will always have a preference for an actor to 
of a certain ethnicity or nationality to have a, to have that role. Have because, the first shot anyway. Because yeah. I feel like, for example, like it's just, it's just that there isn't enough roles for certain people. So, mm-hmm. for example, like it'd be great to see like a Jewish actor who is very much in love with being Jewish get that part. Mm-hmm. And so, I think in the case of Catherine Hahn, it's going to be always a very second lens away from it right right so it depends i think it depends on the movie but overall i think that it that actors should have some base should ser- share some basic things so have some life their- experience that they can really bring truly to the character yeah yeah and also because yeah. I, I feel like people have this perception that acting is being someone else no acting is performing a character and well, it's but you, it's, you also you always bring some of yourself and your past into mm-hmm. it always because like yeah People, nobody would ever accuse Katherine Hepburn of being a bad actress, but she always put herself in right. those parts. So right. Right. it makes sense for a Jewish actor to get. Okay, we're, um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have my buddy Ron Salona, CV, uh, artistic director of CV Rep, telling us what's coming up in their season. and Brian continue with the desert scene on Radio 111. Here they are. And we're back on the desert scene and we're joined now by he, Ron's vet. He's been on the show many times, both live and on the phone. Ron Salona is the artistic director of CV Rep uh, and they, they've got, we're, we're so happy that live theater is emerging, coming back into the, the place. Hey Ron, how are you doing? I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you. And thanks for having us on Absolutely. your wonderful program. So tell us what's coming up at CV Rep. Well, it's a thrill to be able to share. We have a season. Yay. You know, we weren't so sure after being closed over a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been scary for all theater throughout the country. Mm-hmm. So we're thrilled to be able to announce that we are opening on November 9th with our first play. Yay. Bakersfield Mist by Stephen Sachs. It's a fun play. It is based on a true life story. Okay. Uh, basically an unemployed bartender living in, named Maud, living in a trailer park in Bakersfield, buys a painting for a few bucks from a thrift store, despite almost trashing it. She now is convinced it's the lost masterpiece by Jackson Pollock worth millions of dollars. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it, what happens here is an expert from New York comes out mm-hmm. to see, is it real or isn't it? And that's where the fun begins. Excellent. So this yeah, is uh, just be a great place. And like I said, it was based on a real story of uh, uh, of a Pollock painting that was forged by an artist, believe it or not, in Palm Springs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's a fun story. So it's then just a, we, we're gonna. I'm just, sorry. Go ahead. That's just a two person uh, play. Yes. It's okay. Two person play, and I have a pretty thrilling thing to share. It is going to be performed by a real-life husband and wife actor. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, really, uh, uh, Arthur Hankett and Stephanie Erb uh, are both husband and wife, and they are coming out to start rehearsals next week. Oh, that's fabulous. And um, they're both superb. And, in fact, Stephanie is quite a uh, celebrity. She's a... 
TV and film actress on recurring roles, TV. Okay. And so it's, uh, it's a coup to have them both in this production. Excellent. So what's after that? After that, we're in January 25th through February 6th. We have Lifetime 3 by Yasmina Reza. Many people will know her work from the play Art. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting piece, and that is, there are four people in this play, and it's two couples. And one couple is um, at home, and they're uh, basically getting ready to entertain his, the husband's boss and his wife, but they come a day early, mm. and they are not prepared at all. And what's interesting about this piece and how its title came to be is it's a three-act play done in three short acts. Mm -hmm. Each act is the same scene performed completely differently as though what would happen if this happened Ah, or if that happened. How would the evening go? (laughs) So um, it's really quite an interesting a study in human behavior mm-hmm. and how, you know, we uh, as people in any situation, it could, it could play out completely different based on the things we say and how we act. Yeah, one, one, little, one little sentence said a different way could change everything, yeah. So it's really a fascinating study, um, and I think people will really enjoy that. Okay. Then we do our one musical of the season. Closer Than Ever, music by David Shire and lyrics by Richard Malby Jr. Mm-hmm. This is a musical review, um, and it shares the best music. It's just a beautiful piece, and it's about human relations as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are four people in that piece as well, and uh, the music is just spectacular, and I think people will really enjoy um all of the different relationship scenarios. They're not, they don't play the same people. In other words, each song, they're depicting a different life situation right. of different people. Okay. All right. Yeah. And we close out our season on April 12th through April 24th with Native Gardens. That was the play we were supposed to end in uh, the 2020 season with. Right. But that never happened. Um, so since it was in April. So I'm really excited to be able to, A, present this play, but also to give the actors that we cast two and a half years ago Mm -hmm. the opportunity to still have the work. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And uh, that piece is fascinating in that it's about, it takes place in Washington, D.C. They're side-by-side homes, and one is an established... um, home uh, of an uh, older couple who basically have this prize garden, and the other house has been abandoned. And a young Latina couple uh, by the home, and it is wonderful to sort of see how they want to create a native garden, native to the region of Washington, and not, um, in other words, plants that don't exist in that region. And very, very much um, um, sort of environmentally conscious. And that goes totally against the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And it, it becomes friction first about the gardens and then other issues in life, mm-hmm. like 
uh, cultural differences, age difference, right. and certainly racism comes into play. Yeah. But it's done as a comedy. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's a terrific, the writer Karen Zacharias has done an amazing job at sort of sharing this story in a very uh, comfortable and wonderful way to receive and to hopefully have people walk out of the theater learning some really good lessons. Yeah, and which is one of the things you hope theater does. I mean, besides making people entertaining, laughing, crying, you want them to think. Yeah, and, and sometimes maybe disturb, ruffle a few feathers. But yeah, lessons are absolutely part of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so, and of course, CV Rep's mission is thought-provoking theater of substance. Right. So it falls right in line with what we do. Right. And, so, uh, and falls in line with our theme, hopes, dreams, and expectations. Yeah. So so tell me, how are how are you handling, how is CV Rep handling, because CV Rep, is a, that's a large theater. You see a lot of people. How are you handling the whole mask, non-mask, vaccination, all that kind of stuff with your audience? Great question. We have gone back and forth with different rules as the COVID uh, crisis, I would call it, uh, you know, pursued. And in, in the end, with the uh, the new variant happening, we have uh, decided that it will be um, a mandatory vaccination. You have to show mm-hmm. your vaccination card and ID at the door. Mm-hmm. And we are having a full audience of masks mandatory as well okay and for you know for an hour and a half people can wear a mask and watch a show that's what they're doing on broadway that's what they're doing in regional theater and um and we're falling in line with the same rules yeah i think it's great and it's one of the things i was really happy to see when i watched the tonys that everyone in the audience had a mask on i thought that was great i thought that was a a fabulous thing well it's protecting themselves and protecting other people around them and this is what we have to do i mean one person gets sick at cp rep the show's going to shut down right exactly you know and so if we want to keep live theater happening during this time it's we don't have a choice i mean our hope is that things change, right? Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll reevaluate this before the January show, right? And if things are so much better, well, we'll change the rules mm-hmm. uh, accordingly. But you know, one day at a time, right? Now, have you had any? I mean, because I know this is—it's all such unfortunately such a lot of controversy, a lot of political stuff going on. Have you had any uh, pushbacks yet about? the rule as it is now for this first well, show coming up? I'm happy to say it's been very um, uh, small percentage. Okay. Um, so, for example, uh, our subscription base at the moment is around 600, and we had five subscribers uh, want refunds. Wow. And basically say, we're not going to come unless you, yeah. you know, don't require, you know, we don't want to wear a mask. Yeah. Well, you know, if I lose five subscribers, I think that percentage is, is pretty good. Yeah. Because I think that there are probably more people that are happy that we're doing the mandatory mask than not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, any, what would you say in the time we have left? I like to think that all of us have learned some have grown and changed and evolved and maybe learned a few lessons in the past 18 months, two years that we've been dealing with this. What would you say from, from a professional standpoint, if as a theater person, an artistic director, director, what have, you, what have you learned or how have you changed, would you say, since the pandemic started? Oh, boy. 
I, I have definitely changed, Bonnie. There's no question. Um, I think patience is really a mm-hmm. big part of it um, because, it, let's face it, it was a huge disappointment yeah. um, for for everyone um, in, in the theater and unemployment for so many people and workers and people don't realize how many people work behind the scenes right. uh, that have lost their jobs. And this, that so huh, I think perseverance mm-hmm. um, you know, patience and uh, back to our theme, hope, yeah. dreams, and expectations. expectations. Yeah, yeah. So let's get... And I only expect the best. Yes. You ha- with the work. You have to, yeah. So, uh, Ron, real quick, um, ph- phone number and website for those who aren't season Perfect. subscribers. How do people get tickets? So, website, cvrep.org, cvrep.org. Okay. And phone... Seven six zero two nine six two nine six six. Well, those are both pretty easy. Yeah, cvrep.org or 760-296-2966. Real, real quick, have you, did you have, I know this has been an issue for lots of live performance venues. Did you have trouble getting, since things had to be canceled and shuffled around because of the pandemic, did you have trouble getting the actors or rehiring or getting the actors that you wanted for the shows coming up this season because of that, because of the delays? It, it, it was a totally different process. Mm-hmm. The unions have made us do all of our initial auditions online. Yeah. So here I am casting live theater from videos. Yeah. And that's not the best way to cast an actor. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, for live theater. So ultimately, I didn't have a choice. So so we did it that way for our first production. And we'll do it that way for the second production. And then they, they do allow live callbacks. Oh, good. However, okay. I could only see six people for each role. Mm-hmm. So maybe I had eight people that are right, and let me see them for a callback. Well, I can't do it. Yeah, I could yeah. only see six people for each role, mm-hmm. and that was a challenge. It really yeah. was, and yeah. uh, and that's you know you go with the flow of what has to be until things change. Yeah. All right. Hopes, dreams, and expectations. That's the theme for the CV rep season, Ron Solomon. So congratulations. I'm so glad live theater's back, and it sounds like a, a great season coming up. Fabulous. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for being here. All right. Ron Solana. We'll be back with much more on the desert scene in just a bit. musical theater to literature and all the other stuff we enjoy in between making desert life so vibrant you're listening to bonnie g and brian mendoza and the desert scene on radio 111 here's bonnie and brian and we're back we got an interesting news story so Cher <laughs> is suing mary bono uh, sonny bono's widow 
for uh, some of the rights, the money from the rights from the, all the music. Yeah. Right? So the Sunny and Cher uh, musical library group, library yeah. has you know obviously made a lot of money over the years and, and has still does. Yeah. Still does. It's obviously still been a thing that everybody knows. Like. I would even say that there's an argument to be made that some of the best music that Cher's ever made is the Sunny and Which, Cher. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people would say that. And yeah. it's it's one of those things where like Cher finally felt that her she's basically suing for a potentially million dollar lawsuit. Because now is she alleging that Mary Bone is just kind of keeping money and not 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 letting her know or what? How how is Mary Bono? Uh, doing this do we know she basically is saying that she's wrongfully withholding okay. royalty so yeah. songs like i got you babe and the beat goes mm-hmm. on that apparently that there's like the, apparently what had happened was that they had a 50 50 split with share and Sunny. Sonny's estate and sonny has yeah. gone now so yeah and so they felt like that this is because they are because even though they divorced they still felt that their professional but it's a professional thing to do, which is split right. because you can't. Because right. believe it or not, I don't think either one can actually take full credit for Sunny and Cher. Certainly not. Yeah, it was anymore. pretty. I was a pretty equal thing. Yeah. It, yeah, and 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 you can't even. And for the most part, there's nothing like a big controversy like Ike and Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we know that situation. Yeah. So like yeah. that's if 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 Ike doesn't receive money from that, no one's gonna complain. You yeah. Know? Like no one. <laughs> <laughs> like if Ike never received sad but true yeah yeah <laughs> like his yeah. Ike Turner he, he was we, a jerk yeah jerk okay you know and like what happened was that like basically Cher said that last uh, what had happened was that Mary Bono through the Bono Collection Trust told Cher allegedly that she would be cut off for royalties for the Sunny and Cher hits I Got You Babe the beat goes because on because why and apparent and who knows you know like that actually surprised me too was there a reason given no she just got told that she's getting t- that she's no longer getting uh oh and so the notice of termination was actually like the thing that got shared to actually do this because I'm she not surprised yeah because she's been because the lawsuit said that sh- that Cher has been the unchallenged owner of her 50% of all musical composition and mu- royal record royalties for that many years uh-huh and that even though they haven't given an exact dollar amount, basically Cher is saying that she is sustaining damages and will continue to sustain damages until she gets like that m- amount of money. Yeah. And pretty much Mary Bone has been pretty silent about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not sure what her argument could be. I mean, what is she based? Well, you're not going to we're stopping it right now because just because I feel like it. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a, a reason. And to me, it's kind of weird because. I would imagine that she has her own like financial ability to financial security. Oh, I, I, I'm sure she does. She does, you yeah. know, because she she was Sonny's widow when she, when he died. They were still married, so I'm sure she got whatever from him. Yeah, yeah, and I and I don't think Cher would ever like say, "Hey, you know, Mary, we're gonna take that money away from you," because obviously yeah. I think Cher would be cool enough to let Sonny's wife have money. Yeah, you know? you have yours, and neither one of them are, are starving. I mean, neither one. Of, and no, she, of course, no. Mary Bona made money as a congresswoman too. So neither one of them are starving. That you know. But I, I think what I think. Yes, I actually agree. None of them are starving. You know, like if none of them ever did anything anymore, they'd, they'd be, be good. fine. They'd be fine. But I think it's also about the principle of like your work and getting your credit for Absolutely. your work. Because I imagine, like in your, if you put out a song fifty years ago and it had royalties attached to it, I think that, or a song put out 20, 30 years mm-hmm. ago, 
you would be mad if the if they Absolutely. cut it off, right? There's no reason for that. Yeah, and I don't know because I, I do know actually. I was going to say share <laughs> share actually deserves that money in my opinion. I, yeah, I I mean it's interesting that no one has given an argument as to what what is Mary Bono's argument on this well, side there is none well I'm trying to think what would be an argument because like there would be I can't think of it because it's one of those things where I have a feeling they're going to settle it out of court beca- probably yeah because that I think what's going to happen is either a she settles it out of court or b she just stops you know she who Mary, Bo- Mary, Mary Bono stops, stops yeah, withdraws and, the thing yeah yeah and then she might have to pay share some money because this is considered damages which yeah. means like I'm I'm not a lawyer by any means but I get the impression that that means like as long as the, she doesn't receive the money she's technically receiving damages like that like mm-hmm. not being able to actually well and i mean unless and obviously if this were the case we would have heard about it unless there was a an agreement in this original legal thing that said well at, as of october 2021 you're not getting this anymore unless yeah. that was in the agreement which i'm sure it wasn't there is no reason for this also except it, spite or even like after the set amount of years neither one of us right. gets it you know because yeah i mean let's because how sunny died was an accident it's so yeah. like the fact is that no matter what if there was a contract where sunny and Cher were told after 50 or 60 years you can't you receive royalties well that's different then it would have affected sunny if he was alive right so it does to have this be like a self, uh, Mary Bono imposed thing yeah. doesn't make sense, no. and so I, I I honestly think it's a little. F- I'm trying to be nice about it. Foolish. Yeah, you know, Cher, Cher is going to prevail. She's going to win. This. No, I think there's it's no way. Be a shock if she didn't. Yeah. All right, we'll be back with more. And actually, uh, next hour we've, we're going to welcome Jeanette Knight, talking about a big improv festival coming up, on in just a bit on the desert scene. From architecture to painting and sculpture, literature to live music and theater, Radio 111 presents Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza with The Desert Scene, your connection to culture and entertainment in the desert cities. Here's Bonnie and Brian. And we are back on The Desert Scene, and now we're joined by another friend who's been on the show before, uh, Jeanette Knight. She is a wonderful, she's actually a director, choreographer, but one of her big things is improv, and she's, uh, I think, put together together this big improv festival and comedy festival coming up uh, next weekend. Hi, Jeanette. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Bonnie? Good. So tell us, this is exciting. Tell us all about this festival coming up. Okay, well, it takes place October 23rd and 24th, like you said, next weekend. And we have shows, we have two matinees. The matinees represent the finalists from people all across the nation that submitted videos. Uh, So on Saturday at 2.30, we have improv and sketch groups. And on Sunday at 2.30, we have stand-up comics. And these are people that submitted videos, and then I have a a panel of industry professionals who view the videos, give them a score. So these are the top scoring acts. So there's some really funny and talented people 
uh, that are performing as part of these matinees. And then in the evening, both evenings, Saturday at 7.30 p.m., we have some headliners, and those people are um, opening. We have, sorry, I'm I'm looking at my notes here and looking on the, I get confused myself. Okay. Uh, But opening Saturday night at 7.30 is uh, Mary Gallagher. She is a stand-up comic who made her debut on uh, late, the late show with Stephen Colbert in 2018. Very funny. And uh, following her is Steve Middleman, who's a stand-up comic, one of the few stand-up comics that appeared on The Tonight Show with both Johnny Carson and Jay Leno as hosts. Mm. And then following him, they're each doing a half an hour. And then the last half hour is the winners from our last festival. Their name is Red Door, and they are an improv comedy group. So that's Saturday night. Do you want me to describe Sunday night? Sure, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because Sunday night is, is also a lot of fun. That's uh, we have uh, we call it Sunday night headliners, and we start out with by honoring a couple of local people that have made big contributions to comedy. Uh, Joyce Boulafont, who was a regular on the Mary Tyler Moore She's show, fabulous, yeah, yeah, and Steve Bluestein, who is a stand-up comic, very funny, and he just did a, a an engagement in Las Vegas. He just got back from that. And he also was a founding member of the Groundlings. Mm. Uh, so we begin by honoring them, and then that's followed by a performance by a very funny sketch comedy duo called Pure and Weary, a couple of gals from L.A. They won the sketch comedy category at our last festival. And following Pure and Weary is stand-up comic Jason Stewart, right. who is hilarious. Mm-hmm. He won the stand-up comedy category at our last festival. Mm-hmm. And then apart from that, we have workshops for people who actually want to get in and try this kind of stuff. So tell, tell us about the workshops. Say, say you were somebody who, you know, you maybe they've done a little acting and they always were curious about improv. And they, uh, so tell us about what, what would happen at these workshops. Okay, well, uh, Saturday morning from 11 to 1, we have a workshop being done by Red Door, who they are also performing Saturday night. They're an improv duo. And um, they it, they do a very, it's a very physical workshop, so they guide fun physical explorations that are really designed to get you out of your head and into your body, because mm-hmm. that's what messes us up a lot with improv, is that yeah. we're trying to say the funny thing, the right thing, the best thing, and uh, so that's really what their workshop is about. Mm-hmm. Um, then at the same time, happening at the same time, Jason Stewart is teaching a workshop called The Business of Show Business, and he's going to work one-on-one with everyone in that workshop about really being in the business and sustaining uh, a life in the business because he's mm-hmm. been in there for years. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to, you know, go over their pictures, resumes, bios, social media. Right. And then I love Mary Gallagher's workshop Sunday morning from 11 to 1. It's called Getting on Late Night TV <laughs> because... She made that a goal. She took a break from stand-up after raising her daughter mm-hmm. and and made a goal to get on late-night TV, and she actually achieved that. 
But on a deeper level, um, she explains that it's about really connecting emotionally with yourself because the funniest stand-up comics and comedians in general are people that make it personal. Right. Yeah, and so that's what her workshop is about. And those are all open to the public. And so for tickets, now this is all, this is taking place at CV Rep, correct? Yes, yes, Coachella Valley Repertory, which is, uh, as you know, where the old IMAX theater used to be. So mm-hmm. it's a great facility, beautiful facility, not a bad seat in the house yeah. because of that extreme rake. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so for tickets, people would go to cvrep.org. Mm-hmm. And then they would have to click, there's a tab for the festival. Um, or they can call the box office, 760-296-2966. Tickets start at $20 each. Mm-hmm. And the box office is open Monday through Friday from 1030 to 5. Excellent. So I want to ask you, for people who don't um, mm-hmm. don't know anything or much about improv, um, Mm-hmm. And are, or are afraid of it. I've known, I know, I've known some stage actors who are great with a script, but when you talk, start talking about improv, they get really nervous. What would you oh, say to them? Too, yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. How, how would you, you know, assuage somebody's nerves, or how would you explain what <laughs> what what improv is in a way that doesn't seem threatening to people? Well, I love that question. Um, first of all, I want to say that a lot of agents now won't take on actors unless they take some improv training. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but m- most really good improv teachers, and, and I have a real affinity for improvisers in general, mm-hmm. make a point out of creating a very safe, supportive atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's not about coming up with the perfect the perfect scenario or the funniest scenario. It's learning to be children again, you know, to to uh, be spontaneous and, and fun and, and not overthink things. Yeah. So it's really nothing to be afraid of. I, I would tell anyone that's, that has a fear of it. And, you know, after years of doing it, I'm still a little afraid of it. And so most people in a class like that will have a certain level of fear uh-huh. but, and, knowing, and, and knowing these two fellas uh, that are teaching the improv workshop on Saturday morning they are just super nice guys and and uh, will guide you in a gentle loving supportive way yeah Br- Brian has a question for you, you. Know, I actually it's almost like a two-part question because I actually had to rethink my question a bit because I think you answered it but I was gonna <laughs> say that um, I was trying to think, like, what do you think distinguishes someone who does, who really becomes a character through improv as opposed to someone just spouting a bunch of random stuff? And what makes a great teacher of improv? Like, what, what do you have to do to become a great teacher? And overall, just what, how do you distinguish the very best improv, uh, improv uh, students and all that? Yeah, a lot of questions, (laughs) Brian. I love it. Yeah, I think a great improv teacher has to be improvisational in their teaching. Um, I think they have to sense how their teaching is working with the participants and adjust accordingly. And um, what makes... You were talking about characters in improv. I love that question because... In my years of, of playing with it, I've noticed 
that the most interesting scenes are ones that bring characters to them. Some, and we and we always talk about um, it's okay to represent any kind of character as long as you do it with love and respect. Mm-hmm. But to just spout a bunch of knowledge or uh, information back and forth and be talking heads, that seems to be less entertaining or less fun for the audience. And so characters are a, a great deal of fun with improv, in my opinion. You know, I just love that. I, I was going to say, I just love what you said, which was you can play any character as long as you're respectful about it. Because we actually had a conversation earlier on the show of what Sarah, Sil- Sarah Silverman had said about Catherine Hahn playing Joan, Joan Rivers. Rivers and not being Jewish. And, you know, where, you know, what, mm-hmm. when people get upset about people doing characters, either the, an actor of the ethnicity or whatever not being cast, or sometimes people doing caricatures and kind of going over, to, over the top. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. In this, uh, it's interesting because now I'm thinking of the stand-up category because we have a very diverse group of stand-up comics. We have uh, one that is part of the autism community. Uh, we have an African-American stand-up comic that talks a lot about this idea of being woke. And so I love how diverse they are. We have um uh, Jason Stewart is a, a very big part of the LGBTQ community. He founded one of the, um, it, it's a, a task force with SAG-AFTRA that he founded. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm really proud of the fact that it just kind of ended that way, that, mm-hmm. you know, their scores were the highest because they were the funniest. And it goes back to that idea of being personal with the material because it's it's so true to them. It helps make it funny. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. I know you've worked with children before. Do you do improv with kids? And do you find, if so, do you find that they have less fear about it? I do. You know, I, I teach three days a week up at the Idlewild Arts Academy. Mm-hmm. And um, I have taught improv up there for many years. And I do find that they have, seem to have more freedom with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And these are teenagers who can sometimes be very conscious of what their peers think of them, um, but they but they do seem to have have much more freedom yeah. when they're improvising. Yeah, yeah. And and so you uh, just to get to you personally. So you do improv, you teach improv, you, you also you, you choreograph and you direct plays as well, right? So do you would you say improv is your number one hat that you wear? I would say it's probably my number one love. Okay. Uh, it, yeah, it's 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 my passion. It's it's something that I'm just drawn to, without really being able to explain why. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can say that every good improv class that I've gone to, the, the improv classes I've gone to, where I walked away just thinking, "Oh, that was great." Yeah. It 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 also seemed like a great acting class to me absolutely so yeah so going back to your original question i I too know actors that are afraid of improv and um 
You know, the two just overlap, I think. Yeah, Jeanette, we're running out of time. Sorry so much. But but Jeanette, thank you so much. So the big uh, improv uh, festival coming up next weekend, CV Rep, 760-296-2966. Check it out. Thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you both. Thanks. All right. Jeanette and I will be back with more on the desert scene in just a bit. likes to read she likes to sing and act they both love the coachella valley and they love talking about the desert scene with you on radio 111 here's bonnie g and brian mendoza so if you haven't heard dave chappelle the conversation has been dave chappelle oh my lord but you know what (laughs) it's just What's he, what did he say? I've heard this. I didn't know what what was it he said that upset people. What what was the issue? Basically? So he has a comedy special on Netflix called The Closer, and um, it's it's very much one of those things where it, it's just more or less the the way you can examine it rather than what actually was said. He mm-hmm. said. So in it, he talked about cancer culture and how like he feels like the LGBT community is very like hypersensitive, and he also feels that. He said, you know, I can get away with making jokes about black people, but making a joke about an LGBT person, I get ostracized, mm-hmm. which, you know, you know, I almost want to tell him, you know, there have been people that have gotten canceled for race jokes that mm-hmm. racist jokes, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I would be mindful, you know, yeah. but basically he talked about J.K. Rowling, who, mm. you know, we all know famously doesn't really c- care for trans folks mm-hmm. or has gotten a lot of controversy to put it that way. Mm. Don't sue us, JK. But I was gonna yeah. say. So basically, he said, "My God, they, they um canceled JK Rowling and they called her a turf." Well, I'm Team Turf, and turf is a term that's used to mean trans exclusionary radical feminist. So oh. basically, a fem, somebody who I I don't call them feminist personally, but mm-hmm. basically somebody who uses feminism to hurt to exclude trans people from the conversation. Basically. A feminist is someone who I have always pictured as all women, mm-hmm. whereas a turf is like only biological cis women, mm. and that's their wording. Yeah, I don't I don't use the word biological, yeah. Yeah. but basically because of those comments, Dave Chappelle's been the subject of conversations and and pieces online about how like jokes for the most part can be harmful to society if mm-hmm. they're not dealt well. You know, like if you're not if your joke is like anti-trans, it could. uh, feed into Mm -hmm, mm anti-trans-ness and all that and so a lot of like there uh, there have been meetings at netflix that have been crashed by trans employees who feel a certain way about it that they really feel like this is an injustice and there have also been like there is a a uh the producer of dear white people a show that's on netflix has said they will no longer work with them. I think they're a trans woman and they're no longer working on Netflix and another LGBT uh, writer that used to do a special on Netflix called Hannah Gatsberry mm-hmm. has left, has officially d- distanced herself from Netflix. Mm-hmm. Basically the idea is that a lot of employees at Netflix who are trans and LGBT don't wanna be involved with Netflix because they feel like you put out a bunch of specials by LGBT people, and but you're making money off of us as opposed to like really supporting us. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the things is that they there have been a lot of conversations about who's really getting canceled because a lot of Nef- a few Netflix employees who are trans have been fired f- for speaking out against this, and also um, they've passed out a lot of pink slips, especially mm. to one person who spilled uh, who spilled some confidential financial information about Netflix out of like out of protest. And there's also going to be a walkout on October twentieth by trans employees of Netflix. Mm. So a lot is going on with okay. all because of a special on Netflix. Now, so has Dave Chappelle himself ha- had any consequences from any of this at this point? Do you know? I, if anything, he probably benefited from it got because PR, he, uh, yeah, he got press. Some, yeah. I mean, Dave Chappelle's never been, he's always, he's always of, spoken out. He's yeah. always spoken out and ruffled feathers. Too. Yeah. And yeah. I, I do want to give one thing I want to say is, Dave Chappelle making jokes about his own people, about black people, is different than mm-hmm. him making jokes about trans it, people. It really is. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's... it's. I know people... Sometimes people say, well, oh my gosh, there's so many rules and p- p- political correctness and this and that. But you know what, what it really comes down to, in my view, is uh, common courtesy and consideration for your fellow human being. And also... You know, Jeanette earlier was saying, I'm not trying to miss her, but like yeah. your own experiences matter when you make jokes, you know, like what is tried and true and all, right. uh, w- sometimes there's truth in comedy. And for example, like if you make, jo- if I made jokes about being Latino, they'd be funnier because, you know, I've actually You've lived, lived it. it. Yeah. Right. Right. Versus let's say, I, I, I have a feeling like if you made a joke about, let's say being Latino, but you're not Latino. I, n- I never, I would never do that. No, but yeah. I, I knew, but it's yeah, like, yeah. It, but I have a feeling even though you'll be respectful as best as you can, it wouldn't be as funny because absolutely, because absolutely, your reference point would be stereotypes as mm-hmm. opposed to me, where my reference point is like my lived yeah. experience. Yeah, and um, I also think, for example, that Dave Chappelle. He said, you know, he feels liberated and that a lot of people have backed him up, just to be honest, like there have been people that have backed him up. My personal opinion is that, you know, like, I think it's one of those things where it just wasn't necessary. It's like your philosophy. Is it kind? Is it it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? And, you know, now in comedy, I realize with comedy you know some not everybody there are a lot of comics that don't always consider the kind thing but you have to balance it out you have to weigh each situation you are doing a kindness though when you punch up towards systems that hurt people so for example exactly so like if you made a joke about racism and the joke is at the racist expense you're doing a kindness for For race exactly right or like i saw a comedic sketch where a homophobe basically gets it not incinerated physically but like Mm -hmm. metaphorically in the joke and it was so funny to me because the audience member was being heckled by a homophobe but that was a kindness Mm -hmm. you were making fun of a homophobe But that was a kindness to the person who was really suffering. Right. right. So, yes, it is kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how many people leave Netflix and if Dave Chappelle ever suffers anything. But, yeah, you know, there's always going to... But just think, even if you're a comic, just kind of think about how it's going to affect other people when you speak. That's my, my philosophy. Okay, <laughs> we'll be back with um, Brian Scott. He's back in town. Yay. And just a bit on the desert scene. Bonnie and Brian continue with the desert scene on Radio 111. Here they are. And we are back on the desert scene. And 
I'm hoping in just a moment we're going to talk to the fabulous Brian Scott. Um, he's a wonderful singer who is really all over town for quite a while. Uh, moved back to, I believe it's Oklahoma for a bit, but he is back, back in the desert. And he's doing a big show with my friend Siobhan Velarde, uh, actually tonight at Runway. Um, and I think we're going to talk with him in just a moment. Um, he's a wonderful country singer. And um, do we have Brian on? All right. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing fine, Bonnie. How are you doing? Good. So you just drove into town, what, last yesterday, last night? Did you just get in? <laughs> yeah, actually, we got in here uh, two days ago, and uh, we have been running like chickens trying to get everything uh, all put together here. <laughs> now, well, was it was it Oklahoma? Is that where you, where you had moved to? Yeah, we lived in Oklahoma City for the past two years, and uh, we had a, a great time out there, but, uh, you know, the the valley is home yeah so uh we knew eventually we would make it back here and uh uh luck had it that uh just everything fell into place and here we are back home excellent excellent so so tell us uh i don't know i know i've met you a few times and i've heard wonderful thing things i know you sing with siobhan and but tell me i don't know much about you and your your background so are you are you from oklahoma originally no, originally born and raised in Orange County, California. Oh, okay. And then, uh, yeah, and then I moved out to the desert uh, in uh, 1999. Okay. Um, I've been singing all my life. Um, I studied music, and uh, I started with uh, choirs uh-huh. in uh, high school and, and junior high school. And then uh, in college, I studied musical theater and uh, music theory. And uh, when Garth Brooks came onto the scene, that's when my entire life changed. So I became a country singer after that. Mm-hmm. I went from musical theater to country music, and I've never looked back. Uh, country's been my my uh, entire existence. Um, up until now, Siobhan's kind of gotten me into, like, the blues and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I'm kind of, you know, widening my horizons, as yeah. you would say. But uh Country is my main thing. And then uh, I was lucky and blessed enough to get a television show on ABC a few years back with uh, Carney Wilson and Joey Fatone from NSYNC. Wow. We uh, traveled, yeah, we traveled all around the uh, United States looking for talent. The show was called uh, Karaoke Battle USA, and okay. it was on ABC. Okay. And uh, I got a little national fame out of that. And, um, we, I've just been singing my country music ever since. Wow. Now, before, okay, so before Garth Brooks came on the scene, had you thought mm-hmm. about country before that, or did he just totally change your focus? Well, I always loved country music. I grew up in a family where a lot of rock and roll was played. Mm-hmm. And even though I liked it, I didn't, it just didn't resonate with me. Yeah. So. I was listening to Kenny Rogers when I was young, Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, mm-hmm. um, the Gatlin brothers, things like that. And I, but I just never fell in love with it until Garth Brooks. Okay. And then Garth came on the scene and I thought, wow, I, I want to be just like this guy, you know? So I emulated what he was doing until I could find my own style. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I've just loved it ever since it's, it's in my heart. Yeah. Well, you, you, you sound kind of like a country guy. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, have you developed <laughs> yeah. that as well? Sort of that country swagger and that whole thing? Yeah, there's a little twang in my, in okay. my, uh, music for sure. Um, I don't twang as much as, uh, mm-hmm. some of them, but, uh, I, I do throw that in there. My mother's from Arkansas. We spent okay. a lot of time in the, in, uh, in, in that state and okay. being in, um, uh, 
in that kind of environment, it, it, it seems to lend itself nicely yeah. to my music. So I always love, because I'm a singer, and I have a lot of friends who are singers and actors, and I'm always curious about everyone else's sort of um, uh, methods. So first of all, so um, do you, before you do a show, before you do a performance, do you have any uh, rituals, meditations, prayers, lucky socks, I mean, anything that you do before a show? <laughs> lucky socks? Well, some people have lucky things they wear, you know. Yeah, exactly. I don't, you know, I don't, the only thing I do do is warm up my vocals. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I, every show I give 110%. So Mm -hmm. I'm never going to give them a lackluster vocal. So I always make sure that in the shower, it's mostly in the shower when there's a lot of steam and stuff. I'll Mm -hmm. do my, uh, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do's, you know, and, and, um, keep, keep the, the, the chords healthy. That's kind of my main thing. I don't Mm -hmm. really have any other, uh, uh, rituals that I go through, uh, okay. or lucky hats or anything like that. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Now, a uh, couple of questions. First of all, do you do you read music? Do you and do you play anything? Play any instruments? Um, I I can read music. Uh, I do read music. Uh, I play a little guitar, a little piano. Uh, that's how I write my music because I mm-hmm. do uh, a lot of my own uh, compositions. Um, but you know, I've never really had the. Uh, the gumption to get on stage with the guitar or anything like that it's just it's it's one of those things where i leave that up to the professionals mm-hmm. and then uh, i just carry it with my vocals I, and you've answered my next question i was going to ask if you write now so do you write both music and lyrics for things i i do i write uh it all comes out of my head and um i put it all out on a video uh a recorder and um then I, I get with my piano player and uh, we find the chords and then it just it we burst the song basically mm-hmm. um, from there it's all in my head it all comes out together interesting enough I've heard a lot of people say oh I write the lyrics first and then I do the melodies yeah but uh, it all comes to me together in one um, it, it's it's interesting how I write my music mm-hmm Interesting. Now, a couple other questions. First of all, was your family supportive? I mean, you decided at some point that this was going to be your basic career. Were they supportive of that, of you being a performer? Yes. Uh, My family was very, very supportive. I've lost my mother and father. They were my biggest fans. Um, They went to as many shows as I could uh, get them to come and see. Um, They were, uh, uh, my dad, we called him Papa. Papa came out here to live with me in the valley. Um, and he, he loved going to all my shows and stuff. So, uh, he was just, he was my biggest fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a lot of support, uh, yeah. a lot of, a lot of support. And that when I was younger, my dad's all, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a singer. Mm-hmm. And he, I remember him used to saying, um, well, Brian, you know, you need to do something that's going to make you some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I thought, well, why can't that make me money? You mm-hmm. know? So he trained me to, you know, get that foundation, and, and I, I was a graphic designer for 18, 20 years. Um, I, I owned my own restaurant for eight years. Oh, okay. I owned, yeah, I owned my own retail store for five years. So I've, I, I know business, mm-hmm. but music, music is my life, now and, I have, and that's where I'm at. I, you just answered another question. I was going to ask you if you ever had what I called a job job. So tell me about the restaurant. Was, mm-hmm. that, was that in California? The restaurant you owned? That was in a that was in a state in New Mexico, okay. uh, in a little place called Redoso, New Mexico, seven thousand feet, um, and it was a beautiful little ski resort town, and mm-hmm. it was called the Blue Goose Cafe, 
And we were a lunch uh, restaurant with uh, gourmet soup salads and sandwiches. And Mm -hmm. we ran that little place for eight years. And boy, did I learn a lot about hard work. I bet. (laughs) I mean, that to me, that seems like one of the toughest jobs ever is running a restaurant. It is. You think when you go into it, like, oh, it's going to be so cute and fun. And I'll get to, you know, enjoy the rest. And I'll get to sing in my own restaurant. I thought I was going to get to sing in my own restaurant, but mm. you know what? I was busy making food busy, or cleaning yeah. toilets or yeah. you know, doing anything and everything I could to make that restaurant work, yeah. you know? But don't you think, though, I always think that whether you're a singer or an actress or anybody actor uh, performing, that l- those kinds of life experiences only make your performing richer, I think, because you have all those experiences uh, draw- to draw on. Absolutely. And I always tell people when I'm writing my material, I can't write about some fluffy stuff that I've not lived through. Right. If I've lived through it, I can write about it. Mm -hmm. And it it, it comes from the heart. I remember when my mother passed away um, from a rare cancer, I was Mm -hmm. driving back to New Mexico from the funeral. And with tears in my eyes, the 12 hour drive, I wrote this beautiful beautiful song in in memory of her mm-hmm. called mama let it's okay let go you can let go and it was ah. it's it, it, it's it's a beautiful tune and yeah. it'll probably be in my set uh for the show tonight okay that now that we're boy you are you are the best guest i've ever had on segueing me into the next thing i want to talk about okay so the show so tonight brian so much bs i love that the name so much bs bs is in brian scott yes brian scott yes. with siobhan Velarde, who's uh, become a dear friend of mine we did a show called bosom buddies at runway she is just fabulous isn't she fantastic yeah and you've worked with her many times right before you moved a moved lot away. yes We've we've done so many shows together. We do a lot of country club gigs together. Mm-hmm. We've worked with PS Underground together. Mm-hmm. We've worked at Pete's Hideaway together, and uh, Runway as well. So it, it's been a, a beautiful journey with my Siobhan. So tell us about tell us a little bit about the show and how you put the show together with her. Well, the show comes together with me begging her to do country music with me. <laughs> okay. um, she's all I don't do country. I never have done country. Mm-hmm. She goes. But with you, Brian, I'll do country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we combined uh, forces, and we've uh, put some duets together, and uh, she'll do a little mix of the blues in there with mm-hmm. her country. But she has such a – she doesn't realize it enough, but she has such a country twang to her that is so natural. I've heard her do some country. That, She's uh, fabulous, yeah. Yes, yeah. and she is so good at what she does, and we just combine it together, and we we laugh, we joke, we have a great time on stage, and uh, it, it's 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 a perfect combination. All right, so that's a tonight runway. So much BS. Yes. Brian Scott and Siobhan Velarde at runway uh, seven thirty to nine. Uh, you can yes. get go to Eventbrite presale tickets uh, twenty dollars at the door thirty dollars. Um, food and drink not included. Uh, let's see, seating not guaranteed. But runway is fabulous. If you haven't been there, it's a fun little club. Uh, behind, it if you is. go down 111 in Cathedral City, the big revivals, if you're going to go back behind the service roads behind there, it's a wonderful little club. Question for you. Do you have a go-to or favorite one or two country songs when someone says, Brian, get up and sing a country song. What do you, what's your go-to song? Oh, my gosh. I have so many, mm-hmm. Bonnie. Um, I, you know, Gar- like I said, Garth Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, If Tomorrow Never Comes oh, is one of my go That's go-tos. a great one, yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful number, and a lot of George Strait, mm-hmm. um, Amarillo by Morning. Oh yeah, and, uh, just you know, the, I love classic country. 
Um, so I mix it with classic, uh, the 90s country, and the new country. I, I mix it all together. I was going to ask you, do you like, some people don't really like the new country because it doesn't seem as pure country, but how, what do you feel about that? Well, there's certain things I do like about it, and then there's certain things that I don't. Um, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, go down those those gravel roads. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I love a good lyric. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. really, really respond to a good lyric. Um, so I do, I, I do appreciate what they're doing today. Um, yeah. I love, I, I feel, I fall right in the middle of it, kind of like okay. in that 90s, 2000 yeah. kind of yeah. era mm-hmm. with that good country stuff. That's kind of where I fall. But I've, I've learned to love the Merle Haggards and the Johnny Cash songs and, yeah. and um, the old guys just really paved the way for us. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I love to pay tribute to them for sure. All right. Brian Scott, he's back in town. Yay. Tonight at Runway with Siobhan Velarde. So much BS. Shows at 730. Check out t- Eventbrite. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. Uh, so glad you're back in town. Thank you so much for, for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And can I do one more plug? Real Tommy? quick. Real quick. Real quick, we're yeah. doing a haunted hangar at the runway on October 30th. Yes. So get your tickets now at, at uh, runway at ccbc.com. Okay, you got it. All right, Brian Scott, thank you. We'll be back with more on the desert scene. Desert Scene on Radio 111. Cultural events and the people who make it happen in the desert cities with Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza. And we're back on the Desert Scene. Real quick, uh, another reminder tonight. Again, so much BS. Brian Scott, Stravon Velarde at Runway. Also tonight, uh, Frankie's Italian Bakery in the back room. Uh, the l- Songs of the Legends, Frankie Mamoni, Christy King, Joel Baker, Kitty Murray, Tommy Dodson. Uh, check that out. Um, that is tonight at Frankie's show, uh, dinner and show at 6 p.m. Okay. Oh, so there's so there's been this viral video, and Bonnie saw a little, I showed Bonnie a little bit of it, but there's been this viral video going around by Jamie Costa. Jamie Costa is an actor, I believe, who's made fan films of Star Wars. He put together test footage for, I think, a possible fan film about Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know who Robin Williams is, I'm surprised. I, I, I don't think there's a name, but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but he was the star of Mork and Mindy. He's won an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting, uh, Good, Good Morning, Morning Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then like Mrs. Doubtfire, and he was the voice of the genie on Aladdin. So, huge, huge career. So this video. So ca- sad we lost him. Yeah. So this video came out. And so since you're a vocal teacher, um, why don't you tell us a little bit of what you thought about it? Like I thought he was quite good. I think he has, he definitely, there's a physical resemblance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's really gotten his, his, his energy. Of course, Robin Williams, he's bouncing off the walls. His energy and his mannerisms and his a lot of his vocal, I thought it was really good. The little bit I saw, I thought he did quite well. I got to agree with that. So for those of you who may have missed it, but like Jamie Costa put together this test footage for a possible Robin Williams a short film or fan film I believe and what it is it's a depiction of Robin Williams on the day that John Belushi died and so it has gotten a lot of love on social media because of how 
strongly he resembles the character mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but it isn't it isn't just no he's a good actor he's a good actor you can t- i mean the the moment when he's told in this little snip that you see the lo- moment that he's told about john belushi's death i mean he's a good actor that would that was a very uh genuine reaction i mean i think his acting is quite good and it isn't like an impression because i've seen rob williams impressions that don't really do it for me but Mm -hmm. this was actual performance becoming robin williams and the only time the one impression i think of is like when he did the genie he let he stopped doing the genie for disney after a while because he was mad that they used his face as advertisement Mm. so when he got the offer to do the sequel he rejected it he said no and so dan castellina who does the voice of homer simpson on the simpsons he did a couple robin williams impressions for the tv show of aladdin and it just doesn't sound the same and i and that's the only frame of reference i've ever had with a robin williams like impression Mm -hmm. but to see this man jamie costa do it it was just wonderful yeah and Robin Williams' daughter has, however, suggested that fans do not send that video to her. She does not want to have that video sent to her. She's talked about how that was one of the most difficult days of mm-hmm. her father's life. Yeah, and she and she has a right to say that. I mean, just, just. I mean, it's, it's one thing. It's one thing to be a, a famous person who's decided that they want that lifestyle to have people. But when, but when you're the daughter or the family member of someone famous, and people are sending you stuff that's painful, that that's not right. No, yeah. definitely. Even if it's good intentions, I do want to urge people that if you see that video, don't send it to her. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. And I was going to say, for pop culture history, today, well, actually the 14th, which was yesterday, mm-hmm. it, Winnie the Pooh was first published by A.A. A. Mine. And, and what, what year? 1926. Really? So 1926. Almost a, so about... Almost 100 years ago. 95 years. Wow. 95 years. Wow. And in 1957, the Everly Brothers' first hit, Bye Bye Love, mm-hmm. was made it to the top of the charts. Wow. Great and song. Great, great song. And, you know, it was at the time it was controversial because it was, hint, cause it was a little bit more sexual than people were used to at the time. But, you know, now it's so tame that it doesn't even yeah, matter. It's yeah. such a tame song. And another thing is the uh, the world was introduced to I Love Lucy in 1951 on October 15th, which is today. Okay. Wow. And so, and of course, that's such a monumental show. And it's w- was the number one show for four of its six years. Yeah. I mean, that huge. Yeah. Huge, huge hit. Absolutely. It's a sem- seminal hit. I still think of it as... The, one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. Mm-hmm. I still think of it yeah. as such. Yeah, very funny. Very, very funny. And October yeah. 16th in 1950, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is published. Ah. C.S. Lewis's famous first Narnia book was published. And it's still a popular, popular, beloved fantasy series with an allegory for Christianity and all that. So, you know, if you want to introduce your um, kids to some fantasy the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is actually really great. I still think it's great. Have you ever read it? Uh, you know what? I have not. I have not. I was just thinking, I probably should sit down and read that one of these days. <laughs> it, it takes two hours, honestly, because of how yeah. short it is. Like Because yeah. it's a children's book, so it's only like yeah. two hours. But And then, finally, the last piece of pop culture news I'm going to give is that in October 17th, which is coming up, on in 1956, Around the World in 80 Days, premiered in theaters mm. and went on to win best picture at the oscars i mm-hmm. don't think it's a great movie but i think it's a fun movie and features one of my favorite actors cantinflas real quick 
Oh, no, we don't really have time. I was going to ask you about theater. Well, I'm just save it for next week. Movie theaters and where they are as far as masks, no masks, numbers of people, blah, 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 blah. We'll save no. that for next week. Yeah, we'll week. save that for next week. Thank you so much to our guests, to Ron Salona, Jeanette Knight, and the fabulous Brian Scott. Uh, we're so glad the theater's opening up. It's fall. Things are happening again. But you still want to be smart and stay safe out there. All right. See you next week. Thank you.